All right. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Spruce Grove Community Church. We're going to get started, even if everybody's not here. But it's so I'm so glad to be back. I tell you, I got some things to share. There are there are fantastic things happening around the world. I I mean, stunning things. The kingdom of God is coming, and I pray that this morning that you get a glimpse of the amazing overcoming power that God has already put inside of you. And and you know, sometimes when our with our training we get setbacks and we feel like, oh, you know. Is this really work? I'm telling you, it's working. It's working. And uh, the tide in the earth has, is turning, and the light is shining, and uh, every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And there is no avoiding it. You know, to borrow a, a line from the Matrix, it is the sound of inevitability. The sound of inevitability is in the air. So, Father, we pray this morning that as we worship you, that out of the abundance, Lord, of the river that's inside of us, out of the fact, Lord, that we've been made one spirit with Jesus Christ, we pray, Lord, for the wave, Lord, for the manifestation of your presence. We say that this place will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. And we say in the name of Jesus that darkness will be rolled back. Lord, that every curse, that everything that hinders will be rolled back in our lives. We say in the name of Jesus. Let's worship him. In the Let me share something about church. You know, when you come to church, sometimes you, I mean, hopefully you're having a positive experience, but I want to I ask you a question. Where do you think that positive experience is coming from? Do you, do you think it's coming from the songs we've chosen this morning or the fact that Ben's, you know, leading today and, and, uh, and we have a bass player? Like, what are the dynamics that make for the experience of the presence of God? I'll tell you where it's coming from. It's coming from God for sure, but how is it coming? It's coming through the fountains of the deep that are in this room. And if you look to your right and left around the room, that's where it's coming from. The Bible says you've been joined to the Lord. He that has been joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. And as you begin to worship... You who are the scent of life, Paul says, you are the aroma of life. You begin to release that life. You begin to do that. And uh, so it's like all of a sudden, if a room didn't smell like anything, then people came in with cologne. And the more they worshiped, the smell of their cologne began to fill the room with that scent. That's where it's coming from. That inside you, when you praise, when you open your mouth, when you declare that God is, and you say, I believe in the resurrection, I believe that God, you are good, you are releasing the essence of life. And so wherever you go, whether it's here or out there, we are the breath of God's life that he is sending. That's why Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. So as you worship, as you lift up your voice, 
You might be entering an experience yourself because of the sounds and the life that's coming from others around it, but you also are releasing that life. So let the sound of your spirit, let the resurrection life that is inside of you begin to shift into a higher gear right now. Lord, we say life, life, your kingdom come, your life come, your presence be manifested here in this place in Jesus' name. Just continue to worship, but I have to share this prophetic word that there is a couple of people here in this room, and I'm going to prophesy to you what God wants to do today because I believe this is a day of shift for you, that there was a season in your life where every time you came into the church, you were met with a cloud of God's presence in life, and everything was beautiful and everything wonderful. But all of a sudden, it seemed like there was a season where that stuff began to fade, and you wondered whether it was sort of the raw enthusiasm of a young, immature believer, and, and you know, it just wasn't going to happen anymore. But what happened is the enemy began to bring some uh, disillusionment and some hopelessness, and he actually began to cap the well. He actually began to, to close down that effervescent spring of life that God had put inside of you. And your faith, your general faith, your belief in God has remained the same. But your hope from day to day that life would be different or that you could enjoy this manifest presence of God has kind of faded to the background of your life. And I saw this morning that that, that spring would begin to spring up again, that that fountain would begin to flow again today. So we prophesy, Lord, to everyone on our right and our left. We say, spring up a well. Come on, say it. Say it with your neighbors in mind. Even say it with people that are not here today in mind. We say, spring up a well. Spring up a well. Spring up a well. Let the stones be removed and let that fountain of life begin to spring up. Let the mist that comes from the waterfall of God deep in the, in the midst of our spirit begin to blossom again in everything that is capped, everything that is hidden, everything that is shrouded. The manifest life of God inside of us, let it be removed. Spring up a well. Because seasons change and seasons come and seasons go. But the name of the Lord, it remains. The name of the Lord it remains. Now this song, think about it. Can we sing this? Do we want more? The reality is that God is like this waterfall and we come from this dry desert land and we're making this entourage, this pilgrimage toward him. But people find 
refreshing at various levels. Some move towards that waterfall, and as soon as the temperature goes from scorching hot to acceptable, that defines refreshing for them. Then others say, no, I want to press further than that. There's a place you get to when the, the billows of the water, the, fills, the mist fills the air, and the cool of tiny, almost invisible water drops like vapors start to caress my face. That's, that's the place that I'm looking for. And so they don't turn around there. They keep pressing in. But then when they feel the caress of that moisture on their face and that humidity, that actual beginning sense of the vapor of God, that defines the refreshing from them. But then there's others that say, no, no, there's a place where literal drops fall on you. They're splashed from the mountain, from the, from the place where the water hits the rocks. It splashes. And when it, it's, it is so invigorating, you got to go further. you got to go to that spot. And for them, that constitutes refreshing. But there's a people that have felt the deep that calls the deep. And no, I can go right under the fountainhead of this thing. I can go right into the roaring center. What do you believe for? What? is the, the limit of your experience. Where do you turn around? What constitutes refreshing? God, we want you to redefine what refreshing means. We want the fullness. Take a couple more minutes. Just reach out to God. Just reach out to Him right now. Even if you have to say, God, I don't know how to want more. I don't even know how to cry out for more. God, could you change the way my heart expresses desire? God, I want to want you. And I hear you saying, I want you to want me. And I want to want you. And I hear the cry of the deep saying, I want you to want me. But I'm the one that's held back, God. I'm the one whose soul is anchored. God. God, could you release us to want you more? To want you more. You know, when Israel was brought to the mountain of God, they experienced the mountain in, di in different degrees. There was a boundary around the mountain and only the 70 elders and the high priest, Moses and Caleb, or rather Joshua, were able to go over. 
And it says that, you know, the 70 elders, they come up to a place and they literally sat and ate with God and they saw the throne of God. But out of that, Joshua and Moses went higher. And out of that, Moses was called up even higher. In the preparation for his encounter with God, he spent a week waiting before the voice of God said, Now come up fully. And he spoke to him as a man speaks with another man. And that represents the fact that despite the the reality that God longs to have face-to-face encounters with his people, he relates to us according to our faith, according to our willingness to be intimate with him. Yet there's this prophetic picture that there is coming a people who when he says to them, seek my face, their wholehearted response will be, Lord, your face I will seek. And this is the generation of Jacob, the generation of those who seek his face. And it's, it speaks of a prophetic moment when, when there's a convergence between a people who are ready to seek him the way he needs to be sought and a moment when he's determined that he will do what he said he will do, but can't be done apart from a people that are ready. And so we are in seasons of being made ready. But he will never try to bring us past what we are ready. So, Father, we want to say today, Lord, we want to want you. And even if we don't even fully know what that that means, God, we set it before you to say, make our hearts ready to meet you. Lord, deal with the stones, deal with the blockages, deal with the things that separate us. Lord, you said, draw near to me and I will draw near to you, Lord. And and we and so we we could be as near as we want to be and yet we've experienced near and we've experienced far lord we are willing to take this journey with you that your glory might come into this place the way you want it to come Uh, Well, I like to say, you know, if we just sing this song or if we just do this thing that suddenly will magically cross a particular threshold. But that's actually not the way it works. Because we are moving as a collective company. And the old saying is true that says, if you want to go, if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, go together. But the costs of going together means sometimes you got to go slower. Sometimes you got to hold the kids by the hand. And sometimes you, you have to pause for the ones that are wounded and broken. And you have to camp by, you know, those waters that heal. And you have to, you have to pause and you have to wait. 
And we can't always go at the pace of the strongest and the fastest in our midst. But we will go as a family. Because it's not ultimately against about my personal fulfillment. It's about a plan that God has to visit this region with his presence and his power. And I, I was reminded again this morning of the prophetic word Bob Jones gave me before I came here. He said, that church is called to contend for something in the spirit that will impact the region 150 miles in every direction. And it's not only us. It's not just this body. There are others that are called to this. But we're not just called to have our, our back scratched. We're not just called to have a moment that we can say, wow, this is better than any moment I ever had. It's about a presence that comes on the earth and stays a habitation. Emmanuel, God with us, like he was with Israel. And you remember that point where God said, I I can't stay with this people. Listen, I'm I'm backing off, and I'm going to send an angel. And you'll still get the promises. You'll still go into your promised land. You'll still touch the destiny, except I'm not going to be an intimate part of that. I will send a representation from heaven. And Moses didn't say, well, God, what, how high is that representation? You know, what order, what magnitude of angel are you sending with us? Is it a, you know, if, as long as it's a significant angel. He didn't say that. He said, no, Lord, unless... Your presence goes with us. Do not send us from this place. And the deep that calls unto deep is calling to a people that, are you holding out for an angel? Are you holding out for an archangel? Are you holding out for a seraphim or a cherubim? Or are you holding out for the manifest glory of his presence? What do you want? What is the promise that burns in your heart? What is the expectation? What is the hope? God, we love your angels, and we love it, Lord, when you send the ministering angels, and we love it, Lord, when the sounds of heaven come into this place. But, Lord, we want your glory. We want your glory. And it's time to begin to ask him for his glory again in this house. And it's time to say, God, we want your glory. Prepare us as a people to seek your face and your face alone. You know, I think we're going we're gonna to shift now to the rest of the service because this is not a morning thing. This is a life thing. This is a life thing. In the weeks to come, I've just returned from uh, six, I actually was in six different nations and uh, it was amazing. It was literally amazing. But some of the things that God deposited in my heart are, are, are stunning. And I'm going to try and unfold some of it in the next couple of weeks. But it has revitalized my commitment to what it means to be a church that seeks the presence of the Lord. You know, the reality is... Uh, there's different levels of spiritual maturity here, but we have the same aim at the end of the day. And it's, it's in that thing we sang, you know, the spirit and the bride say, come. You know, I, I even felt that this morning. There was, 
time when we began to sing that, and sometimes these theological minds in our midst started, well, you know, what are we asking him to come? He's already here. You know, that's such an empty load of theological hoopa, to use a, a Greek word. <laughs> because there's always different administrations of the administration of his presence. Always different administrations of his presence. And the fact, the fact that he's omnipresent does not mean he doesn't manifest himself more in one moment and in one place and in another moment and in another, another place. And so he commands us and, and tells us to say, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in Revelations, we sing and we declare and we pray, the spirit and the bride say, come. Well, if there wasn't another layer of the administration of his kingdom to come, why would we feel the need to say, come? Why would the spirit and the bride say, come? So let's get out of the limitations of the semantics of what we think are our theological constructs. They're so, so, so limiting. So, Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you, God, that you are preparing a people who will invite your presence into the earth. Dad, do you want to come and pray? You do want to pray. I can feel it. Oh, Lord. I just respond. Let your glory, let your glory, let your glory, let your glory, let your glory come. Holy Father, would you rest in this place? Holy Father, would you rest in this place? In my heart, right here. Would you rest? Would you rest? Would you come and rest? Would you come and stay? Would you come and rest? Would you come and stay? Let your glory. I agree. I agree that that is a prayer that will be revived in this house. Let your glory, let your glory, let your glory come. We are nothing without you. We are nothing without you. And so we say, oh, Lord, oh, Lord, our God, we love you and we long for you and we will never stop saying it. We will never stop saying it. All right. So has everybody had a great week? Amen. Well, it, it is so good to be back. But I tell you, every time I get to go on one of these things, besides the fact that uh, it's great to see places. Some of you who followed some of my, my little Facebook videos, you know, I did some. I mean, there, was, there were houses in Brussels there, buildings in the town square, the city square, that were built in 1600 and something. You know, my goodness, that's, uh, that's long before Canada was, was, was even considered. So, uh, so great. But I tell you what, seeing what God is doing around the world is, is pretty amazing. And I'd like to say a lot of things about that, except that I won't, because I got a few other things to say. But in, on the last part of our trip, I spent two days in Munich, Germany, and I was there connecting with some friends from Singapore and some other, actually it was about 25 different nations represented. It was actually sort of a business fellowship kind of a thing uh, out of Singapore that I was connecting with, and it was being hosted at 
this monastery that a friend of mine bought and has turned it into a sort of convention center just on the outskirts of Munich. But I had uh, the unique experience of listening to a brother from Uganda share about the kingdom of God and how he came into it. But his experience was from the perspective of somebody who had been uh, recruited as a young person and trained in the occult uh, in a global fashion. He was actually taken from his nation, uh, financed and funded and trained for years. And this is a covert, hidden thing. Uh, I mean, they're, 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 they have ambitions to rule the world. And he got, got to this place where uh, literally the president of his nation used to come at his request to see him and to receive orders from him. I mean, just that, that kind of thing. But, but his conversion experience is something else. But it tells us, and, I, and that's all I'm going to say, but it tells us so concretely that the things that are in the Spirit that we talk about and we, we, we reference and we may, you know, you might be sitting here sometimes and when there's things in worship and people do things, you think, man, I would never be so undignified as to do that. I would never, you know, that seems so thin in terms of, you know, what, in terms of it not constituting a legitimate experience or a legitimate expression. But I tell you what, there is a spirit realm that operates that exists and that is the source of everything that causes what we presently know to be the reality around us. The, the spirit world, the spirit world, the unseen world dominates the seen world. And the, the unseen world is responsible for even manifesting the seen world. And that's what it says in the scriptures. That's what it says in Corinthians. And so what we are trying to do as a part of our maturity is come to this place where we are free from the constraints of the natural world to see that the spirit world is really where everything begins. It is the genesis. If you're going to change the natural world, you need to start with the spiritual world. And this is why Jesus shared these things. And this is why I keep going back to it. This is the fundamental reality of the kingdom of God in our midst. He says, the words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. When he was explaining, right, you know, there was two encounters, one with Nicodemus and one with the woman at the well, where he's talking about being born again. And he talks about that there ultimately is just two worlds and two realities. There's the natural and the spiritual. And, uh, and so God, in, by his Holy Spirit, is trying to train us that, listen, this, this invisible world is more tangible and more real than the visible world. One of my favorite scriptures, of course, is the one that, uh, I think it's in Hebrews, that talks about how the, the unseen world or the seen world exists because of the unseen world. And we know that from a, from a scientific standpoint, right? The molecular structure you know, is there's actually more space than there actually is substance or matter in this room. And I'm, not, I'm, I'm talking about even within substance, that all substantive things like this, there's actually more space in this than there is matter. Uh, and it, it, it has to do with electronic fields that give the illusion of matter or substance or, you know, material be- things. Actually, it's, it's a construct 
that is more air than it is, if, you know, if I use that, more space than substance. And when you begin to understand that from a spiritual standpoint, then your heart begins to lean to, okay, God, what, how do I change my world? How do I change my workplace? How do I change my neighborhood? How do I, how do I impact Spruce Grove? How do I impact my country? Well, he's, he's saying, listen, that which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. So you, you need to go back to the, the building blocks. What really uh, is at the base of creation? And it's his word, his word. So he's training us to be co-designers with him, co-creators with him, because we're going to be joint heirs with him. We're going to rule and reign with him. But he, he, needs, he needs to train us, right? How many of you have a business you're going to bring your child into and you make them the CEO of the company without them ever learning anything about the business? Not likely, right? You bring them up little bit by little bit. If you're going to rule and reign with me, you need to understand how this company works. What business are we really in? How do we get contracts? How is money paid? How do we build it? You know, I mean, it just makes sense. Well, God is saying, listen, I want you to rule and reign with me, but I need to induct you into this training program, right, so that you understand what you're talking about, so that, you know, it's not just a title. Woohoo! I got my angel's wings. I'm going to rule and reign with Jesus. Yeah, but if you don't know how this thing works, you will get a position according to how much you know this thing works. Uh-oh, I felt that the arrow suddenly went off, but I felt like the arrow went out of the room. Anyway, I didn't really want to talk about that, so I'm going to move on. Father, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you that you bought us, you got us by your own spirit. Lord, we are not here because of the will of man. We're not here because we decided we wanted to be Christian. Lord, you awakened us. You made us alive. You you shone a light into the darkness. You sowed a seed into our hearts, and you are bringing forth the image of your Son. Lord, with all that that constitutes, Lord, the knowledge that your Son has, the character, the nature that your Son has, Lord, you, you are imparting and forming that inside of us. And God, whether we fully understand that or not, we say we set our faith and our confidence on this, the working of your Spirit, Today, as I speak, I say, God, let our hearts burn. God, let the revelation and the place where understanding comes from begin to open up, awaken. May we feel that current of the life of God and the solidity of those things which remain. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, I don't have that much to say because we're, we're, we're running a little late this morning, but I wanted to touch on what I was seeing during the worship today. Um, just trying to decide how to get into it. Now, again, you have this scripture in James, and, and it says, draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. And a preacher, a wise preacher years ago, I heard him say that, and literally he said it a different way. It's always great when somebody says the Bible a different way. Uh, he said, by that we know that you're as close to God as you want to be. Hello. If, if the ability to draw near... And God's, God's willingness or response to drawing near to you is predicated upon you drawing near to him, then all intimacy is based on your willingness. Now, the, the tough thing, and again, we, we referenced it earlier, what is the difference between 
me saying, I want you, Lord, and me actually wanting you, right? A big difference. It's a massive gap. And that's why, that's what Jesus was really confronting in the religious people of his day, saying, these people, they draw near to me with their lips, but they're what? Their hearts are far from me. And so, you know what? We're not really any different from that. We learn to talk further in the game than we are, okay, because we're sincere. And anybody who's sincere is going to do that, you know? Oh, I hate God. We don't say I hate God. But, you know, what happens is, is at different times when we find a desire for God to become larger than it was before, that means before it was less, so in terms, if your heart has a bandwidth of desire that's finite, and it does, all right, and suddenly the bandwidth that's occupied with wanting God increases, that means the part that doesn't want God decreases. So the question is, how big is the part that doesn't want God? Well, what? You know, this is part of what Paul was saying when he said, he said, there's no good thing that dwells in my flesh. This is why we're told, guard your heart, for out of it are the issues of life. And this is why James, the book of James, meditate on the book of James. The book of James hits this thing squarely and purely. He hits the dichotomy of a people who espouse a certain kind of faith but don't live it. And he says, this is the reason why there's this uh, dissonance in your life is because your heart doesn't really want this. And so what I'm trying to do, I'm trying to awaken you to the fact that I could shift that but you're sometimes we're so insecure about even the notion, no, 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 I really want God. You know, we're just, I must believe that I'm more than I am. Otherwise, I feel like I'm not a good candidate for God to bless me. It's not actually not how it works. The tr- you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So you want to know what part of you is leaning into God and what part of you is not. So at the beginning, it's all very easy and all very wonderful. You're, you're saved. You're, what, you know, you're excited about God. and God. You're, now, you know, it's, it feels like your whole heart is leaning into God, but it isn't. Only a part of you is. And then when God, what, what, the next stage is God starts to awaken to, to you that there are, there are parts of you that are not given to him. And can you give those over? And that's a, that's a pretty, that's a hard thing for people who are religious. Yeah, man, I, don't, I didn't even want to go into this. But faith is a growing thing, and faith is dependence on him. You know, it's like the guy who, he said, I believe, you know, he needed his daughter delivered. I believe, but then he said, yeah, but help my unbelief. See, he was aware that I want to believe, should believe, I'm desperate because of the natural circumstances. And those natural circumstances are helping harness aspects of my heart and my desire. But the reality is I recognize there's something in me that is contrary to that. And so, which is which? Which is which? And so, that's just the reality of what God is doing in our life. And, and so, the, the paradigm that we use to sort of evaluate this journey is that one, based on the scripture of John um, 10, I think it is, or, uh, you know, you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. So, uh, your freedom... And the degree that you are free and the degree that you are not free are all related to truth. So in as much as we're not free, we need truth. In as much as we are free, we've had truth. Truth, awakening, revelation is the cornerstone of this thing. So, okay, so just a couple of scriptures. Hebrews 11.6, and I'm going to read a passage from 
Isaiah, or Psalms 42, I think it is. Forgot to write it down. 42. But the first one, Hebrews eleven six. listen to this. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that is he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. But faith, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So faith is the thing that pleases God. Oh, really? I thought moral perfection was the thing that pleases God. No, no, no. Moral perfection comes out of faith. It's the fruit of a, of a life that's rooted in the knowledge of God and His experience, His presence. Now, there's a form of godliness or people, you know, with all of their strength, you know, uh, who abstain from things, and that has the appearance of righteousness, but it's actually a form of godliness. Again, related to that company of people who draw near to God with their lips, but their hearts are far from Him. And so God has this amazing way of showing us which is which along the way. But essentially, essentially, we need faith to please God. And the essence of faith is faith, and we've talked about this recently, but faith has this ability to draw on God and nothing else. Man, so many sidebars I, I, I feel like I need to be doing here. So uh, pray for me. Golly. One must believe that he is and is he re- he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now I want you to think about the, the, the degrees to which this can affect us. Oh, I believe that God is. Okay. And how is he then? I believe that God is. But what is the state in which he is right now? Okay. Well, he is. No, no, no. It's actually very specific. The is of who he is is related to every aspect of his nature and his heart and his desire and how those things are rolled out into the earth. In other words, God, God wants to reward, but on what basis does he reward? Well, you know, we, we all get to go to heaven. Oh, yeah, it's that, just that simple, right? Do you know that we get different things from God? Do you know that in heaven we'll have different things? I... I remember that was a real hard one for some people I was talking to a few years ago. It's like, well, no, no. When we get when we go to heaven, it's all then we're all the same. It's the communist utopia of heaven, right? No, it isn't. He says he talks about giving different talents, and the one who 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 got ten, he said, rule over ten cities, and he, and you know take the one from the one and give him. So he now he has eleven, right? So one has five, one has eleven, and one has none. And so there are degrees, there are thrones, there are dominions, there are, I mean, and and believe me, there's more available than there are people making themselves available to enter those places, but there is more available than you can imagine. But the reality is when we go to heaven, we will not all be walking in the same things. Well, how how do you do that and not feel like you're, you know, like down here when somebody has more, Immediately you get the problem of envy, right? I want what he has. How do you keep that from happening in heaven? I'm asking a question. <laughs> How do you keep that from happening? How does God, well, you know, and, and this is a tough one because on the one hand, Satan actually entered into envy while he was in heaven. I won't even get into that because I, I don't have a really good explanation. But, it's possible to fall even while you're in heaven. But one of the ways that I believe 
that God is going to reward us is with increased capacity. Now, um, we have this problem in our home where I am more sensitive to certain things than my wife is. I tell her she has no feelings. It's not quite true. But she does seem to enjoy the water in the shower a lot more hotter than I do. And, uh, and so there's things I whine about that she doesn't even bother her. And, you know, anyway, I was going to go into the conversation we have around that. It's kind of funny. But, you know, she, she tells me I, I should put up with it. You know, you just put up with the cold. Yeah, but if you don't feel the cold, how are you putting up with it? Right? So, anyway, but what we have is a different capacity to feel. Right? I, if, you have, if you have been given a capacity to feel something and somebody else doesn't have that capacity, are you better? No, but you do have more. And some of us have an amazing sense of taste, right? And some of us smoked for 25 years or 50 years. Smoking tends to kill the taste buds, right? And you can get to the place where literally food is, you lose complete interest in food because it's just all bland. You cannot absorb the flavors of food, you cannot feel the the breadth of the, the and the depths of the you know the different nuances of this spice and and that thing. So it's like, yeah, give me porridge every day, no sugar, I'm good. I just eat to live. But some people have been given a capacity to absorb the fullness of flavors, and some have less capacity to draw in and experience that. What if the way that we are being made different when we cross over into heaven is that we have diminished capacity to take in the depth of who he is? That the the manifestation of who he is is complete, but our capacity to take it in is different. Actually, that's the way it works right now. Right in this room today, as we are worshiping God, what we have is varying capacities to interact or experience what is clearly in the room. And I learned this, you know, gradually as I began to discover people in my life who, who seem to uh, experience things. Now, I know you always, get, you always get the people who are pretending to be further than their revelation, you know, or who they are spiritually. And, all, and so, you know, sometimes around certain spiritual atmospheres, in Christ for the Nations, when I was a Bible school student, that's, that was, I mean, the pecking order was around how much you experience spiritually, right? And, and so the prophetic, worshiping, intercessory types, they were at the top of the order. And if they sang, they were <laughs> way up there. But it was this, this ladder of success based on how many angels you felt and and, you know, whether you, ooh, you know, manifest and all the rest. You know, that tends, and the enemy does that with immaturity to, to kind of throw people off. And you're going to get a certain amount of that. Whether it's in Brownsville during that revival or whether it's in Toronto or whether it's in Bethel or whether it's here or Kansas City. or You know, all of these places where God is moving, there's always going to be the propensity of flesh to try to depict itself further along in this journey than it actually is. That does not nullify the fact that some people experience more than others. But here's the thing is we are, we are in a place when we don't feel what somebody else feels, 
we are kind of, you know, it's like the person who's, who's tasting the same food but doesn't get any of the spices. Oh, this is really hot. Mm, I'll have to take your word for that. Right? Now, in this case, you're not superior because you taste more of the, uh, of the, of the hot than, than not. But in a kingdom where, relatively speaking, there are nuances of being greater and less based on what you see or do not see, you can start to, you can start to see that that would be a problem. And the enemy has used that, that to create discord between us to the point where I remember running into pastors and, 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 the, and they would literally say, and not just pastors, Bible college students, they, they would literally say, there are no deep things of God. Everything that, you know, and they go to the Ecclesiastes, everything that was is seen is seen before. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah, there may be nothing new under the sun, but you haven't seen everything under the sun. So what does that mean? That's, that's kind of an empty saying. But uh, I literally, we have this tension in the body of Christ between those who seem to have more. And if you don't have more, you can't see what somebody else sees. You have to take their word for it. How come I don't? It, it brings a whole bunch of questions. Like, well, how come I don't see? Or we could take the Sheldon route, you know, Sheldon on Big Bang Theory. He says, he says don't you think if I was wrong, I would know it? Right? And sometimes we think, well, don't you think if God was doing something, I would see it? Oh, yeah? Okay. Let's talk about pride. Nobody, no, nobody would know something more than what I know because I'm, I'm the greatest. How do I say that and sound humble? I'll just say that this, the idea of you suggesting somebody else has more is in itself pride. There we are. I'm safe. No, we're all the same. No, we're not all the same. There is actually a world of beauty waiting to be discovered. Waiting to be discovered. Now, if I could borrow a, a, a period of my experience... I've always had strong prophetic gifts, which, which enabled me to see and experience things that others didn't, which I used to suggest that to myself that I was therefore better. And it took many years of God to wear that out of me. In fact, I was just telling a guy here in, uh, this last week in Brussels that that uh, I remember I had a hard time submitting to pastors because in many, most situations I was in, I would talk about things that were so concrete, so clear to me, and so obvious, and they didn't understand. Well, I thought, well, how am I going to submit to that guy? You know, he doesn't even, he doesn't even know anything. And honestly, it, it was very hard. It was really hard. But what I didn't realize, of course, is what I didn't see. When you see something, and that thing is maybe rare and unusual, it causes you to become preoccupied with the part that you see and unaware of the part that you don't see. And so what I didn't see at that time is this. 
love is what really matters. In other words, in this case, these, these blind pastors I was, you know, unable to submit to were, had enough love in them that they could embrace my prideful little butt. <laughs> Which is saying something. And yet I had the gall to think I was superior because they couldn't manifest this particular unction of the prophetic That was easy for me. So God has a way of balancing things out in terms of the distribution of gifts and everything. And yet at the same time, he is wanting us to connect to that which is invisible in order to make it visible to the world around us. That a part of what he is doing is bringing us into an interaction with the unseen realm so that we can show the world what's really out there. So this morning, just pray in the Spirit for a second. Father, we ask God, God, we ask in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you would give us an understanding today of the construct of the kingdom of God. God, that we could see what it is you're adding to us and, and how you are shaping us. God, we so long to be taught by your Holy Spirit. We so long to understand the work of grace in us and around us and in others, God. I just pray in Jesus' name, great grace. Well, so we have this, uh, this passage. I, I was almost done with it. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so there's all of these, these words. You know, when you look at these words on a page, God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It's sort of two-dimensional. It's God rewards those who seek him. But the reality is there's different rewards and there's different levels of seeking. And there's different capacities to believe that he is. And so the range of possible outcomes, you know, is, becomes exponential. And so we are not in any way the same yet. The same. Yet we are we are leaning into the same revelation of who God is, but it begins with this this capacity to believe that He is. And I want to go on from there, and I want to read us two parts of Psalm forty-two. Now, the first part I don't really need to read, but except it's really good. And um, and so for time's sake, I skipped over the middle. But the the first part is this: As the deer pants for the water. So my soul longs for you. How many of you remember that old song, Marty Nystrom? Uh, He was actually a student at Christ of the Nations when I was there. He wrote that at Christ of the Nations. How many of you remember the song? As the deer panteth for the water, so my soul. Yeah, just such an amazing heart in that, you know, you just could feel, it would draw you in, right? You, it made you want to want him. Such an amazing uh, release of grace in that. So as the deer pants for the water brooks, so uh, pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been food day and night. While they continually say to me, they, the enemy, where is your God? 
So in the midst of distress and challenges, the psalmist, who I think is David in this case, but he, uh, he is leaning into God and he's finding the capacity to seek harder. And that's one of the reasons why we have trouble in the earth because trouble ends up often being the catalyst that helps us to lean into God. Now, you know, I wish we were of a higher order than that. But, uh, you know, sometimes we go from crisis to crisis. But I, I'm telling you, I, I feel, and, and uh, just, just for the journey, I feel that I'm experiencing something in these days that I've longed for my whole life. That I feel like I'm coming into a place in my life where I actually am seeking God for God's sake. Actually really desiring Him. And I can't tell you how that feels as opposed to everything else, but I am looking forward to the days ahead because there are amazing days coming. But let me read on. Verse 7 and 8. Deep calls unto deep. I have to drink some of my water. Deep calls into the deep at the noise or the sound of your waterfalls. And all your waves and billows have gone over me. The Lord will command his loving kindness in the daytime. And in the night, his song shall be with me, a prayer to the God of my life. So this is the, uh, the thing we were singing this morning. And as we're saying, in fact, before we were singing, I began to get another sort of revelation about this. I'm hoping this becomes clear to you. But you heard me talk about the, the turnaround points as we're seeking God. And here's the thing. is If we're talking about an analogy of a deep and of a fountain and everything, you know, the natural... It, the whole the, the whole length of the experience is obvious to us, right? You, you can well, you can go right into the water, but when it comes to spiritual truths, the layers of those experiences, there is not an obvious conclusion like there is with natural things. Now that's the that's the way spiritual things work. That there is there is a depth to things that 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 opens up as you go along, and there are reasons why it does or does not open up. So I was telling somebody the other day about uh, how impressed I was with C.S. Lewis's revelation. Uh, if you read The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis was so ahead of his time. He was a prophet in his day. When you actually read, and we actually, I never read the book. I, I listened several times on long trips with our kids to the BBC uh, radio thing. You know, it's like it was a CD. I don't know how many it was bunches of them, but it was, it was really, really well done. And I remember again and again, and I keep coming back to this, the elusiveness of truth from one world to the other world. So there's a scene where there's a world above, which is the, the, you know, sort of symbolizes the spirit world, where life and God and you know, Aslan the lion is, and then there's the, the world ruled by the queen. And for some reason, the kids have to go down to the world that's ruled by the queen, and they're in this room, and they're talking about the world above there. And they're saying, look, there's a world above there. And that world is, is, is well, what's it like? Well, there's a, there's a sun. Well, what is a sun? Well, it's this ball of fire, you know, that's in, in the sky. What's the sky, you know? And, um, but what happens is the queen, the wicked queen, takes this powder and throws it on the fire. And when she throws it on the fire, 
It, it burns an incense or a smoke, and that opaqueness of that smoke begins to fill the room. And as it does, the kid's connection to the world above begins to fade. And the language that's used when, when whoever it is that's uh, uh, you know, recounting the experience, it is exactly what happens to us around spiritual revelation. If you, I, I actually, I wish we had it right now up there because it's, it's so precise. And I'm thinking, okay, C.S. Lewis, he had to understand this. He had to understand realms of the spirit and revelation to be able to write something like this. Either that or it was by, you know, some amazing grace. But I, I think he had to be, he must have been conversant with this at some level. But she begins to talk about how unsure she becomes that there was even a world above. And how even as the words are going out of her mouth and she's explaining about the sun and a ball of fire, it suddenly appears to her to be ridiculous. That, that the notion that this world exists and it, it functions like this starts to become increasingly distant. And then what's his name, the, the, the guy that's with him? Puddle Glump. Puddle Glump, yeah. My friend Puddle Glump. Anyway, he runs over and he, and he realizes what's happening and he puts, he snuffs the fire out and then the smoke stops filling the room and suddenly she starts to get her clarity back. You know, I, I watch in my own life and in the life of believers moments when people are coming into that clarity and the moments when they're backing out of that clarity and a smoke, an opaqueness uh, is coming in over them. And it's not random. It's not random, but ultimately God wants to take us to a place where we are in the world, this world, and we're declaring a reality of something that we're not just guessing about, but we're sure about because we've experienced it. We've tasted, we've seen, we know that we know that we know. And there is a capacity of people who have experienced that to come into this world, be able to say, no, this is the truth. This is the reality. And as their word goes out, it causes the reality of that realm that others have not experienced to invade this one. But witchcraft, on the other hand, does the opposite. It causes a cloudiness on those who have seen and heard to begin to wonder if, in this environment, if that's even true. And it's kind of like the experience you have when you're, you're here. You know, if you might remember back to your most significant moments, maybe you were in a conference for four days and you had a visitation and God touched you and you did crazy things because you got drunk in the spirit and, you know, you lost your dignity and you worshiped and you got and you cried in front of people and you shouted and you jumped and, 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 and then later on that week, you're just full, so full of God. And then you go to work and you start to, to talk to somebody about how real God is and how wonderful he is. But the more you say... And the more they respond, the more you doubt whether it was even real. What's going on? It's a clash of two kingdoms, a clash of two worlds. And the question is, do you have enough to overwhelm his world with the world of God? Or are you convinced by his world as he begins to speak what he has to say? Can you bring... So, oh, and you think, well, what happened? You know, we need to do another conference because that's when I had that, you know, it was just so real. The objective that God has is to get to the point where you can actually take the atmosphere that was at that conference or on Sunday in that meeting or, 
or that you experienced even in your car when you were worshiping God. And, and to be able to bring the atmosphere that was invading your thoughts and your feelings and manifest it wherever you go. But what we learn is, is that we actually hold on to those experiences, to those realities, rather, tentatively, and, and we lose touch with them as we encounter the world around us. So what God is trying to do is, listen, I want to train you, get you so rooted in this reality that when you go out and start to talk about it, it just it begins to materialize right there when, where you are. And in fact, that is the thing that divides different levels and different administrations of ministry. I was in, uh, Afri- I mean, I was in, when I was in Munich, this one guy began to share this testimony, and he began to talk about things that I know to be true. I, ju- I absolutely know to be true, began to, but he began to talk about it, and suddenly the room filled with this sense of reality, this sense of, oh yeah, I know this to be true. But it was like, in a way that, man, I, you know, something in me has kind of backed off from that. And I, I, right away I realized, well, I'm obviously not carrying that truth the way he's carrying it, because he had to remind me of it. And that's the nature of ministry, and that's what we're called for. When you go to see a counselor, it's not for them to say, poor you. It's for them to manifest, right, a reality that you can become anchored in so that you don't get taken down into those pits that you get taken down to. And so whether it's preaching or or counseling or witnessing, we are trying to pull people into a world that we know to be true. Anyway, I haven't even got halfway through my, my message. And time's already up. I know people are getting nervous about their roasts. And <laughs> Let me just share this one last thought. As we were worshiping today, and I, I was going to call this, this message, Color Your World, except I've not re- referenced anything related to that. <laughs> so it makes it a little tough. But when I think about the technology that is television and the advances that have been made in television, I, I think about going from a monochromatic or a grayscale world to, the, to this place where they, we have this fullness of cover, color. And if you remember, not only was your first TV very fuzzy as compared to the one you have now, but there was no color unless you were born in you know, the last 30 years. But our first TV, you know, I mean, if you were watching hockey, right, you could barely see the puck. <laughs> it was so gray. And, but anyway, but there had been this progression as the capacity to display the world as it is through the TV has gone from opaque and, and distant and fuzzy to increasingly clear. And I can't do technological justice to you know, the advancements of that technology, but I was seeing something this morning that even, even the advent and the, the, the ascension of our service, as we began to worship, we, are, we, are, we started in a sort of a grayscale world where everything is sort of gray and shades of gray and black and white. But all of a sudden, the atmosphere of the kingdom of God begins to enter the room, and what you have is you have color for the first time. And, uh, and that, that color, of course, it's 
It's like, whoa. You know, it's a, it, it, I, I remember feeling it this morning where we, that dramatic shift where the kingdom began to manifest in the room. And it began to be the sense of this color and vividness to who God was, was starting to sort of manifest in the midst of our worship. But like the technologies, you know, if you, if you buy a high-end monitor today, and I can't do justice to this, but there's literally millions of different colors that are available. But the early televisions, you know, the range of colors that they accessed or they were able to manifest were just, were just hardly at all. And I, I began to think about uh, our job and our role of what we're doing. We're trying to manifest the beauty of a kingdom that we can't really see. And it comes in layers of, of, of sophistication. So let me share one last thing. Now, I'm looking at this, this thing here. You see this? I don't know what you call this. Did you call this plastic? Vinyl? Huh? Uh, Anyway, it's not real, but regardless. And you would say, what, if I said, what color is that? Green, yes, yes, it's green. And that would be true on one level, but not true on another level. Because actually, when you look around the room, I want to tell you right now, the, 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 there is no color here in the room. That is, in the wall, or in those beams, or in this floor. In that, that, there's no color here. Color does not belong to wood or to carpet or to whatever the plastic is. Or to the... Color is not an attribute of those things. Color is an attribute of light. All color is in light. That's why you, know, the, you see the rainbow? Okay, and white light going through, uh, you know, water, precipitation, sort of ref- causes a kind of refraction and opening so then the colors begin to manifest that are in the light. And what happens is the molecular structure of everything that's in the room causes light, a, a narrow part of the spectrum of light to be manifest. So what you're actually seeing is not a green plant, but a plant whose molecular structure reveals green light. Okay? And so... What God is doing is he's increasing the light in our lives, in our rooms. He's bringing us more and more into an encounter of, of what he is and who he is. And when you got born again, the world was monochromatic, just black and white, single colors, grayscales. And, uh, and as, you, as your eyes are being opened, you're being brought into world of more and more and more color. Well, how do you explain color to somebody who's colorblind? They have no capacity to see it. You can describe blue if you want. You can describe well, another kind of blue. I mean, you think about it. There, you know, there's thousands of blues today. So we create all these amazing terminology for the different types of blue. Well, that's ruby blue. And that's, you know, grapey blue or, you know, aqua blue and, and, and so on and so forth. But the range, the range of the expressions of that color blue have just get larger and larger and larger. And what the presence of God does 
in the world is everything starts to become beautiful. And when people come into the presence of God, they begin to experience that beauty, but they don't know where it's really coming from. And at the beginning of our journey, we don't know where it's coming from, but God is connecting us to that source in a, in a more real way. And furthermore, he's actually enabling you to manifest color. Because as your connection with the source of color, who God is, increases, wherever you go, you begin to have the ability to bring that. That's what ministry is. Ministry is opening a world that other people cannot see so that they see it. But the question is, can you open it? Or do you get bogged down in the world that they presently see? And that's not a condemnation, but that's a reality of the administration of your faith. But it's coming. And there's a grace coming on this generation that is going to bring us into a richness and a capacity to spill. I mean, I, I, even right now as I'm standing here, I'm seeing this drop of something on the church and these ripple effects that are causing the world around us to go from black and white to just color. So, Father, I want you to picture that right now. And as I close in prayer, Father, we pray. We think of revival in so many ways. We think of the kingdom of God in so many ways. But, Father, I pray that that drop of who you are would fall on this region so much that, God, all of the, all of the generation of the richness of the experience of a blind man or a colorblind man coming into seeing the world as it truly is. Lord, that the, all around us, God, in Jesus' name, the veil of darkness that causes the color that's out there for us to see, that's in light. God, I pray that it would be rolled back. And so, Lord, today... Mm, we want to want that color. We want to want the things that we don't see. And God, we want to lean away from ah, the pride that says, if there was something to see, I would see it. We want to humble ourselves. God, and even as I experienced this week, these amazing graces from other men and other ministries and places in the world that I didn't even know about, that we would have the humility to say, there is so much beyond my experience. And that when they begin, when it begins to be unfolded, we won't, we won't step back. We'll step in. We'll step forward. Father, may this be a place, Lord, where we cultivate a desire for more. Thank you, Lord. Let's not get nervous about the time. If you really have to go right now, and I, uh, I release you to go, but I, I want us just to lean into God for a second. Thank you, Lord. Lord, we ask for the spirit of revelation and the knowledge of you. More than anything, Paul wanted the believers to see what he could see. And so, God, we ask 
for a people who experience the spirit of revelation. And where we have brilliant minds in the room, brilliant deductive abilities, we want to say, Lord, I set that aside to say I favor the spirit of revelation. And I'm going to need my intelligence to process the things that are revealed to me, but new worlds are discovered by revelation. So, Lord, I, I feel like there are people today who haven't seen and have wondered if there was any legitimacy in those that seem to see something they don't see. And I feel like there's a door of grace today for you to lay aside the tendency to dishonor or dismiss or to, to say, nah, it's only what I see. There's nothing more than what I experience in that. No, my taste buds are fine. I know what cantaloupe tastes like. God, the, to imagine that somebody has an ability to taste cantaloupe a hundred times more intensely than I do is impossible without revelation. So, God, I ask that you would give us uh, the capacity to take in the flavors and the, uh, the, the range of the spectrum of colors that are available. Lord, the gifts, the body, the, the, the things that are latently somewhat hidden all around us. God, we say, let it come forth. God, we say, let the kingdom of God. If, you know, I feel right now that there are seeds of destiny in this room. And part of what has kept those seeds in barrenness is that we, we haven't been able to receive the grace that is on other parts of the body. And so some of the, the very gifts that we've been to move in, we just believe that we have the fullness presently. And so it remains a seed. God, we want your kingdom. And if this sounds all cryptic and confusing and like I'm not talking about anything specific, just trust me, please. Just trust me that there's something more, that there is another awakening, that whether we've been born again or spirit-filled, that there is yet a veil to be removed and another veil to be removed and another veil to be removed. And we say, God, take us up the mountain and let us experience your glory. And we humble ourselves today to say, God, we're not going to embrace the pride of a Sheldon that says that I would know if I was wrong. I would know if I wasn't experiencing something that somebody else was. God, we want to reject that pride. We want to lay that down today. We want to come like little children. And so we invite the light of God to shine on our lives And you know, Derek just mentioned something. Sometimes sin is just the fruit of colorlessness. Sometimes sin, things that exist in a dark room is just because there's no light. And so having light is not about exposing your sin, but it's about exposing the brilliance of a God who loves you. And everything else will become clear. But so will the power and the depth of grace that says, I love you. I forgive you. Lord, the mercies, let the mercies, let the mercies of God come. And there are prophetic gifts 
prophetic gifts. And let me tell you, we need them. We need, for this next period, we need prophetic gifts to begin to amp up. We need revelations of things the enemy is doing, things that are hidden, things that we're going to begin to be praying and strategically in a tactical way, zeroing in on some of the things the enemy has done in our community. And we're going to, we need the revelatory gifts to see those things exposed. So God, give us more light. Give us more light. So as we close today, I want us to sing this song together. And again, you're, I bless you. You're free to go. We have the, the, the sharing on the book tonight, 6 o'clock. There were two trees. There's just two sessions left tonight. And if you haven't made any of the others, you can still come tonight. Tonight's going to be uh, revelatory. Let's stand together. And let's just reach out our hearts and say, God, we do want more. We want more. I want to just say as we're closing here, that particularly for the young generation, and if you could listen to me, a lot of you are over there in the corner, but I believe that there's a door of opportunity opening for a quantum leap in your spiritual life. that there's, and, and I feel that we as a church, we need the zeal and the hunger and the passion of the younger generation and you reaching for God. It'll catalyze something in this body. So I want to encourage you to begin to gather together and begin to spend time and make a point of spending time, come together, Put on some worship music and begin to just lean into God because I believe God wants to manifest himself to you in a new way in this season. It's right upon you.